Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Make it from Florida. 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 Hey, what's going on? Twelve more days till Halloween. 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 Twelve more days till Halloween. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You know, we should start things off a pro- the proper way, how we do. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm just going to launch right into it. Not even going to wait. Jeff is going to talk about the misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk. You caught me in the act. What's up, Rumorg? Welcome to the show. Oh, boy. Keeping you on your toes. Normally, we meet on Wednesdays. Today is Tuesday. That's not a Wednesday. What's up, crazy white boy? I'm glad you like that opening. I, I have, Here's the thing. I actually want st- to – let's start there. Let's start right there for anybody who will watch the show in the future. Look, I want the theme song to be a little bit more polished. And so – If it's possible, if anybody plays guitar and wants to sort of do a guitar track that I can then record my vocals over so I can sing, Jeff is going to talk about the misfits right now. What's up, droid? He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. You know, we'll do the whole thing and I'll do a more professional studio recording. Maybe I'll film a better intro. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know that, that, that's something that, that, that would be a, would, it would be nice, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So why are we meeting on Tuesday instead of Wednesday? Well, there's a reason for that because tomorrow night, tomorrow night, I am not going to be here. It's so weird to say that because I'm, I'm always here. I'm always in my, my house, my studio, my, my basement office, but I'm not, you know, there's virtual here too. Like I was just talking about that with our our guest who's going to be on, who I'm going to introduce in a moment. 
you know, it, it's like you you can meet people in the internet. The internet is a place. You know, I know Dave Chappelle, like, uh, just you know, as he's like going crazy and whatnot, said the internet is not a place. Twitter is not a place. It is a place. He is wrong. Dave Chappelle is wrong. Twitter is a place. YouTube is a place. Facebook is a place. The internet is a place. And you can meet people over the internet. So I'm not going to be here tomorrow night, but I am going to be somewhere else. I am going to be doing a show called The Sea of Tranquility. I have been invited on as a guest for their special Misfits episode. And I am told that there is going to be another special guest on the show. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what what is what. I don't want to speak out of turn because it's not my place. But I'm very excited to go on the show and talk about the Misfits. And I'm touched that, you know, someone would think of me and go, well, you know, we need to have Jeff on the show because Jeff loves talking about the Misfits. Oh, okay, cool. Ballad already knows. So you'll see me on the show, supposedly. I, I mean, I, it's 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 in the car. It's supposed to happen. You'll see me on the show tomorrow night with Steve and Chris. And uh, that we're going to be doing a special Misfits episode. And I believe there's going to be another guest. Wow, that's interesting. So a lot of you guys already know Sea of Tranquility and follow them. I, I, I'm very excited. I got to tell you, Steve, Steve, like, Steve's got it going on, man. Like, I'm, like, looking at his videos and what he has and how he does it. I'm like, dude, dude's cracked the code. Like, I want to be Steve. That's who I want to be. <laughs> I just, I'm like a a, a micro Steve. I want to be the big, I want to be a big shot like Steve. He he really, he's got it all lined up. I, I like it. I like the way he does things. I take notes. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, it is like all of these channels are kind of like music nerd channels. But it's fun. That's what we like to talk about, you know. So uh, there's that. Another thing I want to talk about real quick, for those of you who are unaware, Lodi, VFW, there is going to be a show happening. Um, Rue, let me get back to you. Rue, I'll, I'll let you know the exact when and where. It's going to be on a channel called Sea of Tranquility, and I have to double check the time. I really should have done that. Before I here, let me look at my calendar. I can tell you the time right now. But we're doing a show in Lodi. It's a Robbie Bloodshed Voice of Doom Secret Subway show. And it's happening at the Lodi VFW. That's November 6th. Yeah. So it's called Rock Fantasy on the Sea of Tranquility. And it starts at nine o'clock. So nine o'clock tomorrow night, go to the Sea of Tranquility channel and you should see me there. I should be there. You know, if everything lines up the way it's supposed to be, this is what's going on. So I'm very excited about this. Um, I've never been a guest like that on someone else's show, especially talking about the Misfits. Like, that's weird. There, I did do a podcast. There was something called The Fiendcast. I did a podcast for them, whatever. In any case, November 6th, Lodi, Lodi, New Jersey, where the Misfits are from, VFW, I am hosting something called They Came From Lodi. Um, <laughs> it was not my idea. I can't take credit for it. But um, I've fully endorsed it with my, my my brand. I don't know what you'd call this, my my thing, thing, whatever it is. And um, we're I, I'm going to be the, the 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 master of ceremonies, screaming Jeff from us. That's who I'm going to be. That's going to be my nickname. I'm going to be Jeffrey Murdergram. Have been Jeffrey Murdergram in some time. So there's that. That's happening as well. Um, another thing, keep your eyes peeled. 
the November Sam Hain, November Coming Fire listening party, the final in our Sam Hain listening series, is now available to Patreon people and YouTube casualty members. Uh, you know, that, that have joined here. You can watch it. Otherwise, you've got to wait till November 1st on the day of Sam Hain. Also, last thing, and I swear I'm going to introduce my guest. He's so patient. Thank you for waiting. Last thing, I have a special episode of Serial Killer. It was a surprise. We we review. I reviewed the Monster Mash serial. Go check that out. That is also on the Patreon, or you can watch it right now on the thing, and you have to wait till the 31st. And last, last, last thing, I've been reviewing horror movies every single day, you guys. And they get no views. Nobody likes this series. But I'm sticking to it. I committed to 31 days because it's 31 days of Halloween. So I am going to follow through with what I said I was going to do. I'm going to keep doing it even though it's not popular. But, you know, uh, if you feel like checking that out, you should check that out too. You should check that out too. All right. Mm, Who knows? Who knows, Crazy White Boy? It would be awesome if some of the past Misfits members came through. Who knows? Wait, are you talking about in, um, on Lodi VFW? Because that's not the case. But if you're talking about elsewhere, other things that I spoke about, hmm, it's very possible. Who knows? I, not for me to say. In any case, all right, the guy I want to introduce tonight, this guy is a writer. He writes for Diabolic Magazine. I think he writes for more than just Diabolic. He's going to fill us in. He'll let us know. He's a phenomenal writer. Um, we've never actually met. We met through the internet. Because like I said, the internet is a place where you can meet people. Right. Like it's not it does exist. (laughs) It does exist. okay? And, um, you know, I as you know, I made a film called Romeo's Distress. And if you don't know, I made a feature length film called Romeo's Distress. You can actually watch it on this YouTube channel right now. Make sure you watch the uncut version for all of the naughty bits that are not available on the censored version. Um, And my when I was sending this out to get it reviewed, uh, you know, a gentleman, an, an up-and-coming journalist who was just getting his start, cinema journalist. He's not just a journalist, though. This guy's a filmmaker. He shoots on 8 millimeter film. Um, he's done a bunch of, like, uh, I guess it's kind of experimental. Um, he He's also a musician. He's very, very well-versed in, in metal. Way more, knows way more about metal than I do. And he's a passionate writer for all sorts of... Uh, uh, films, particularly genre films, particularly, you know, like some of it's obscure, some of it, I don't know how you would describe some of the stuff that he writes about, but his name is Jerome Reuter. I hope I didn't butcher his last name. I think I got it, Jerome Reuter. And he's joining us from Boston. He's here. He's in the waiting room. I'm bringing him in. Hold on. Let's let's peel back the curtain. Ready? Let's see which way does the curtain peel back. Like that. Whoa! Hey, hey buddy. Jeff, what's up? What's up? Welcome to my show. Thank you. Hey, this is so cool. Um, as I was saying, uh, Jerome, we were just talking about this off, off, off the air, but like we first like kind of uh, uh, crossed paths about, oh my God, almost five years ago now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. And since then, you've just, I mean, man, you have really uh, become quite the writer. Now, you, now Jerome's work is actually familiar on this channel because one of the earliest episodes of the show was me one of the first times i ever read something because that's become my style i do a reading you know i read something and then i comment on what i'm reading it's like kind of like a commentary thing um was was jerome's piece from diabolic magazine 
which link in the description. So go click on that so they get some traffic. And you should definitely read this piece because it's really great. And basically the piece is called Children of the A Atomic Age Horror, right? No, it's Children of the Atomic Age Horror. Yeah, The Misfits. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to approach that. Before we get there, though, Jerome. Yes. Let's, let's start off. First of all, tell me, where, where else are you writing right now? Like, what else are you? Is you just a Diabolical? My, uh, <clears throat> my main gig is Diabolique. I'm the associate and managing editor as, a, as well as contributing writer. Um, I'm doing freelance work. I freelance write full time now. I'm doing, <clears throat> doing journalism for a magazine out in Detroit, uh, which is basically following, basically uh, just following the following like news around the city. And then I'm also doing uh, marketing, um, also doing marketing copywriting for a uh, marketing company out in Florida called Digisphere. So I'm, I'm busy most of the time, and you know I can't announce. There's two awesome projects I'm going to be a part of. One is a Blu-ray that I cannot announce yet. I'm sworn to secrecy. And the other is about another magazine that I'm also sworn to secrecy. And it was last year um, I provided the intro for uh, The Blind Dead Right Out of Hell, which is a literary anthology dedicated to the uh, Blind Dead films of Mondo de Osorio. Wow. I got to write the introduction. And, you know, I, I've been in print before in magazines, but seeing my name in the book for the first time oh, is yeah. mind-blowing. I'm like, is this real? Is this happening? You know, I started out, started out as a film blogger. Um about five or six years ago. And it's like Henry Rollins said about acting, you know, I just kept showing up. Right. You know, just kept on, just uh, kept on chugling as CCR would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, I think it's amazing that my, your first assignment or one of your first assignments, I would say it was my first film. And yes. it's just kind of crazy like that. It, that, that it, it was weird because uh, I remember watching the film and I remember like messaging you on Facebook, like literally <laughs> 10 minutes after I was watching it, I was like, Hey man, I just got work for your film. I just watched it. It's amazing. I loved it. You know, <laughs> I remember. I was like you named your film after a Christian death song. I, I was into it like book line singer from the beginning. You and, know, uh, sorry, go then, ahead. Uh, then I got to interview you and that was, that was, that was totally fun. Just geeking out over like Christian death and the misfits and John Waters and things like that. All, uh, all of my favorite things, truly, all of my favorite things. I was mm -hmm. so nervous, too. I was like, you know, that was like, I guess that was me trying to, because, you know, here's the thing. If you are a filmmaker or any kind of artist in any which way, mm -hmm. in the, in this day and age, you, what you want to do, if you want to be successful in the digital age, and I'm not one to talk because I'm not necessarily successful. I, I'm just, part of my method to what I want, what I'm trying to do is, you know, you got to create a digital trail, right? You've mm -hmm. got to, like, if people search you, the stuff has to come up. And so it's important to get your work reviewed or to put yourself out there however which way you can. And that was my first splash. And so, I, man, I, I really I really do uh, appreciate and I'm so grateful um, that you took a chance on my little movie and reviewed it and also interviewed me i was like i'm being interviewed like this is crazy you know <laughs> so it was it was cool man it was really really cool um and and you also are a filmmaker a little bit yourself like i don't know i haven't made anything it. i haven't made anything new in a long long time um a friend of mine who uh recently passed was a huge part of uh the, the first three films i made being made he was sort of he was he was he was definitely the klaus kinski to my Werner herzog in a way 
you know, really an integral part. And he passed. And I'm sorry since, to hear then, that. The, uh, since then, like the bug hasn't really struck. But I mean, uh, yeah, I was I, I was really uh, really heavily influenced by Maya Darren and Richard Kern, and wanted to uh, kind of kind of wanted kind of wanted to do my own thing, but also uh, embrace like Dogma '95 a bit as well. Right. Right. And for those of you who don't know, moving into the film film side for, for one second, Dogma 95 is basically, you know, Lars von Trier found out that his father wasn't really his father. And so he sort of invented, it was the impetus for this inventing an entire sort of way of, of making movies where mm -hmm. there has to be pure truth. And that that's down to you can't do a period piece. You gotta like you gotta use only natural lighting. Any music that you use has to be played as you are recording your sound. Like really, really strict rules. And people, you know, would make their films by these guidelines. And mm -hmm. you get a certificate if you completed a Dogma ninety five film. Not an easy task to do at all. Um, I think they did the first one, but um, you, you know, it's funny too, is like, you know, you talked about all these different uh, uh, influences. I feel like that film Romeo's distress was the perfect film for you because I, you appreciate that kind of aesthetic. Like you, you get, you get that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. it worked yeah, out. I mean, I mean, watching the film, you know, you can tell it, it was made from someone who has a great love of John Waters, love John Waters who yeah. loves the offbeat side of life. Yeah. And also has a has you know a great understanding of you know punk rock as a genre. And the fact that there was uh, we we talked about this briefly before we went on, went on air. I remember the first time I watched it, and when the character asks his uncle, "Have you ever been in love with someone you shouldn't have?" And of course, yeah. love the buzzcock. So I'm like, right. "Oh my god, it's amazing!" Right, right. I, I'm so glad when you picked up on that. It made me realize like that, you know, I, I, like that it, it worked, it clicked because you can, you know, as a writer and as a creator or whatever, and you, I'm sure you're aware of this too when you're writing, you know, you, I'm sure Glenn Danzig's aware of this when he's making a song on some level. You, you do something and then you put it out into the ether, but it's not until somebody receives it and sort of ping, pings it back to you that you know that your work had the effect that it might that you intended mm -hmm. it, it might like, it has to come back in some way where someone recognizes that thing. And it's not easy to do. And uh, you mentioned Klaus Kinski and I just finished watching Nosferatu in Paris today, uh, Nosferatu in Venice, mm -hmm. the, the pseudo sequel, the Italian, as I call them Italian sequels, which are not quite sequels, Italian sequel to uh, uh, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, the vampire. And it's just absolutely batshit. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I, I should probably see it at some point then oh my god it's on shutter right now i don't know if you have shutter but they i have don't but oh, I, i'm long overdue for a brutal matai marathon dude you really should you should watch you will appreciate this it's it's klaus kinski with a mullet playing nosferatu because he refused to sold. shave his hair yeah you're you're <laughs> you're already sold and i said today you know on twitter i said i almost want tommy was so like, I feel like Klaus Kinski would have been Tommy Wiseau's spirit animal. And I feel like that that Klaus Kinski yeah. would have been so receptive to whatever Tommy Wiseau would have said to him. Like, they just would have connected on some level that Herzog or, you know, anybody else would could never connect with, the, with them. Like, they're just on the same plane. Like, they have the same vibrations. And I could just imagine... <laughs> 
I can just imagine that working out. But let's talk about the Misfits. One of the greatest bands in history. One of the greatest bands in history. Now, you know, we're roughly the same age around there. You know, I'd say same generation, right? So mm-hmm. just what, about, what, yeah. Just about. So where so like what what is what is your origin story? What where how were you exposed? And you know what would be really great to hear? I love hearing this from people. Um the yes, my best fiend, greatest documentary ever made. The Kins someone says the Kinski Herzog feuds were alleged stuff of legend. It's not stuff, it's not alleged, it's it's legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, but um tell what like the periphery. I love hearing about like how people like, oh yeah, I saw the skull, or oh yeah, like I heard the song. Like, tell me about how it permeated into your world. Okay, well, growing up, uh, both my sisters were big metalheads, and back back in the early '90s, they used to get these big, thick uh, mailer catalogs. They're all black and white. Everything was printed on on newsprint, really DIY. Yeah. And I used to go through the shirt section, look at looked at different shirt designs, and I flipped to the very back because that's where the Samantha Fox posters were, and. The three shirts that stuck in my head was the Slayer shirt with the uh, with the, the skull with the Wehrmacht helmet that said Slay Tank Wehrmacht. That one yeah. caught my eye first. I was like, okay, that's different. The other one, the other two, I should say, were the two Misfits shirts they were selling. One of them was Die, Die, My Darling, and the other was the Crimson Ghost. Right. And from that moment, you know, you kind of it's – like, it's like, okay, the Crimson Ghost, what is that? So – they're one of those bands that I always I had known existed, but I didn't really get into them until like I'd say like maybe late junior high, maybe early high school, when a friend of mine made a mixtape for me of Collection Two and Die for Your Government by Anti Flag, which wow. in respect is a really bad album. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, I'm like, I mean, geez, it's like I used to listen to this. We all make mistakes. We exactly. all we all we all uh, we all indulge in in questionable things. I do too as well. So. But the, the one thing that made me want to check the Misfits out, I think, was like a lot of other metalheads, I heard Metallica's covers of Last Caress and Green Hell off the Garage Daisy feed. And, you know, this is this is just like around around um, still young and you know the whole like the whole the whole, whole hearing like transgressive lyrics hadn't really sunk in yet. So you know I'm hearing a, I'm hearing this like really punchy upbeat song. And it's like I raped your mother today. It's like you know here I am 14. I'm going go on. <laughs> oh um, but yeah, that that's that's uh, that's how I got into them. Uh, you know that's a very interesting drink. What what is that? What what exactly are drinking, you drinking? Uh, Southern Tier Pumpkin. Oh. It's that's so appropriate for tonight's show. I, th- th- that's why I picked it up. I was <laughs> no, I know. I, that's why I was taking Joe's. notice. I saw what you said. I just <laughs> there, there's a, there a trader. There's a trader Joe's like right down the street from me, and I was like, I need to get Perfect. some drink tonight, but yeah. don't feel like pounding Bloody Marys, but I'll get some pumpkin beer. Yeah, pumpkin beer. Why not? No, that's very interesting. And um, y- you know, you said something, and again, I love hearing this stuff because everybody like kind of. You know, everybody has a way of sort of communicating it, you know, in their own kind of way. And what you said, you're like, I heard these really transgressive lyrics, but the song was really upbeat, mm-hmm. which is like such an interesting notion because there are some people that will argue till they're blue in the face. And they're not exactly wrong that like Walk Among Us is kind of a pop album, like that, that the music 
has oh is, there's a huge pop element to you know that. right like it's like, just like i the mean hooks. if you i mean like i when you, you go back to like like even like static age mm-hmm. there's that like old like 1950s rock and roll vibe mm-hmm. that goes hand in hand with what you know with the atomic age horror right and you know um i know we'll, we'll probably mention this in the piece later but you ever, you ever that remember in Brown? I want to say it was like 99, 2000 when they put out that cover of Monster Mash. Um, wait, who say it again? Who put out the, their cover of Monster Mash and the seven inch was on the this glow in a dark seven inch. Uh, oh, 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 the, the, the resurrected misfits. Yes, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, yeah. Was, I was talking to uh, my roommate the other day and I said, you know, that sums up the difference between the resurrected misfits and the older misfits perfectly where they're kind of championing mad monster party. This, this part that's still a huge part of, of American horror, but it's kind of the kid friendly, like, right. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, give you nightmares versus, you know, Glenn, who's writing songs that you could easily come from any Ted V. Michaels or, you know, uh, personal Gordon Lewis movie. Right. Right. Um, what is interesting. And I only learned this recently Mm-hmm. The 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 Glenn Danzig Misfits apparently also performed Monster Mash, really? For, yeah, in 1979 at the Irving Plaza show with Tish and Snooky. I don't know if you're familiar with Tush, Tish and Snooky. They're from a band called the Sick Fucks, and um, produced by Andy Chernoff from the Dictators. Just another fixture on the CBGB New York punk scene, and they opened the show along with the Mad. For the Misfits, this was the show that kind of put the Misfits on the map in a way, at least on the New York scene. Um, and they, I, I guess, apparently they performed Monster Mash even all the way back then, which is like that's awesome. Yeah, like and and Ballad here is saying, "What the what the f? Will there ever be audio of Glenn doing Monster Mash?" Well, I'll do you one better. I don't know who knows if this is true or not. And this is where you know, Jerome, we get into the nerdiest of nerdy minutia. Here, mm-hmm. like we talk about, like the ass crack hairs on Glenn Danzig's butt crack. You know what I mean? Like, just really <laughs> get into the the nitty gritty of everything. Um, supposedly, there that there was a video shot of that show, and whether it exists today or not is left to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know, some people say it was destroyed, and other people say that it still is intact. Um, either way, I just hope that it's digitized. If it is intact and preserved in a way that maybe one day many years from now we will get to hear glenn singing monster mash because that would be really cool that would be amazing but you're right dude you're right and it's the same thing like for instance i have a i have a clip video coming out it'll come out soon you know what's the difference between sam hayne and the misfits like the original misfits mm-hmm. and it's I, you can sum it up with two songs man Misfits is Halloween and Sam Hain is Halloween too. Yeah. Just straight up, right? right? Yeah. And so absolutely. and so the resurrected misfits is kind of like uh it's also like Halloween, but like more towards as you saying, the monster mash mm-hmm. of everything, right? Yeah. You know? I was I I threw on famous monsters the other day and Every time I put, every time I've thrown on that album in like recent years, a part of me really wants to like it more than I do, because you know I can I, I you know, okay, no one. It's named after one of the most 
important horror magazines of all time. Hell yeah. What the subject matter they're doing is a little bit a little bit on the edgy side with songs with songs about boxing Helena. You know, they're right. singing about some of, some of the older songs, the older material, like uh, songs like Dem, that's kind of harking back to the Atomic Age part. Right. And you got Saturday Night, which, you know, I can't help it. That's an amazing song. Same Listen, with Jacob Bones for American Psycho, you know. I just want you to know something. Jerome, I want you to know something. What's up? We do not, even though the show is 77 to 83, like, at least me personally, and I would consider myself, I'm the host of the show, right? I love your show, despite yeah, despite whatever you know misgivings that I have with Michael Graves or Doctor Chud or whatever, or like whether I think they should use the name or not. Those two albums are really fun. I grew up mm-hmm. on those albums, and I enjoy most of the songs on them. However, and I've said this on previous shows, I haven't said it in a while, so I'll say it real quick here for you. B- uh, bust your mind wide open. Have you ever listened to Christ the Conqueror? I have. Okay, so you know. <clears throat> That Christ the Conqueror, which is kind of like a basically Jerry and Doyle's trying to play Iron Maiden. Yes, but like trying to play Iron Maiden as like a, a Christian metal band. It's like Jesus. It's like a mm-hmm. Jesus heavy metal band, and essentially, you have to kind of recontextualize the New Misfits as sort of a subversively a Christian metal band, because when you look at the lyrics to everything on American Psycho, a lot of the songs, like Dig Up Her Bones, is mm-hmm. actually a Christian song, as well as Blacklight, um, Resurrection. Is, he literally says, like, talk about me, laugh about me, I'll be, I'll be the guy hanging on the cross. Mm-hmm. Point me to the sky above, I can't get there on my own. There's a lot of uh, Christian symbolism subversively underneath okay, I can see that. those two albums. Doesn't take away, you know, again, that's neither here nor there. I'm not a Christian. Like, I, I don't mind. I, As I said, I love those songs. I do. Um, I don't like to call them misfits per se, like in the same way, you know, I mean, it's 95 fits, you know, but like. How much better would it have been if they just called themselves the Resurrected or them or, you know, frankly, why not take the name Famous Monsters? Like, that's a great name. Yeah, it know? is. Um, so, yeah, those songs have their place and you mm-hmm. should feel no guilt for being down with them. I'm down with them, too. I am. Um, it's the, the thing that, that makes Famous Monsters fall apart for me is our songs like um, <clears throat> songs like Fiend Club. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> um lost in space like the first like the way the album opens with you know Kong Kong and Gates and Zone. there's a lot of power behind that and like I remember like listening to the album first I was like wow this is kind of awesome yeah as lost in space comes on you're like what yeah it's it's metal dude I I don't even that's the funny thing is that people call it people call it punk but it's not like the new misfits is metal dude it's way more metal than it is punk, at least in my opinion. Like, I, I, know, know, I listen. It, it, it kind of, um, especially like Dick of Her Bones, reminds me of a lot of uh, Black Leather Monster by the Plasmatics. Um, I don't think I've ever listened to that song, but I'm going to check it out now because I'm very curious to hear what, uh, why you say that. So I'll, I'll be listening and checking that out. But, um, yeah, I, I think, listen, th- those those songs definitely have their place. When you listen to the original Misfits, however, 
it's an entirely different it's a different animal as a matter of mm -hmm. fact when you listen to the new misfits it's almost like you're listening to jerry going all right uh, how all right we're gonna write some songs for the kids how do we do it okay uh, uh all right, write about this horror. We're going to write Mars Attacks. Okay, you know, like just like sort of, mm -hmm. you know, putting together a song. You listen to Mars Attacks, that that hook. Nah, 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 mm -hmm. Like that's that's metal, dude. That's oh, yeah. Maiden or whatever, you know. It's not, it's not, um, it's not punk. It's not hardcore punk by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not, it's not poppy even. Like the Misfits stuff. Like, like Attitude is like, poppy you know mm -hmm. um uh it's just i don't know that's very interesting but let's let's segue into what you wrote about and okay. i'll let you you take the lead on this you you school all of us here like just <laughs> not school you know what i mean like just just, just break it down for us because i thought it was so profound it was a profound prism that is not talked about enough when you talk about the misfits so <clears throat> go ahead break it down well Okay, so Clive Barker once said that time is kind to generic work. And when you go get back into the kind of nostalgia that pop culture pushes about the 50s and 60s, it's stuff like American Graffiti. It's the Poodle Skirts. It's, it's Wolf yeah. Band Jack. It's the Hot Cars. You know, it's what Happy Days tried to recreate. Right. But if you really want to really see what was really going on, the best way to, in my opinion, is a great movie by Joe Dante, Matinee. Love which it. Which is a, such a love letter to William Castle. And it's awesome because it's in Florida at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Everyone is convinced the world is going to end. And this John Goodman comes to town as a director. Ah, so great. And basically, he's, he's, doing, he's, doing, he's, his, he's promoting a, a movie about a giant ant that's formed from radiation. It's so good. And he's got all, he's got all the uh, William Castle gags, you know, yep. like there's a part where like the bug pinches a girl's butt and like yep. just vibrate in the theater. And that was, that was a big, big thing of castles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And really with a lot of horror from that time, it's really kind of an allegory of what's going on with the cold war because you have, you know, like cover of walk among us from the angry red planet. You have like we're talking about these like e evil creatures from Mars, this giant red planet. Emphasis on the word red, and at, at, at the same time, there's this whole the Cold War is brewing. Um, I remember my father telling me stories of him staying up late night, like six, seven years old, to watch Vampira host, you know, two or three horror movies a night on Friday. I mean, really in the fifties and sixties, horror really reached like, especially in this country, really reached this, it was a renaissance and at the same way it was, it was kind of cheesy, like low budget movies like them or, you know, the brain that wouldn't die, stuff like that. But at the same time, a lot of it was, you know, exploring like these really important political issues. And the kid, the people that are eating this up are essentially, it's the monster kid mm -hmm. generation, right? They're the monster mm -hmm. kids who, you know, are just they grow up on this stuff they grow up on the model kits mm -hmm. and you know the thing about the misfits and i think you talked about this really well is that you know um they are they're almost like they're like a musical like all music is juxtaposition very on much some so. level but mm -hmm. like they are juxtaposition taken to an entirely different level 
right? Mm -hmm. Like they're they're talking, and you know, you touched on in your article, you know, the you know before they start really sort of a I wouldn't call it a formula, but they really start plugging in the horror movie aspect of it, like really just like straight up writing songs with titles like Night of Living Dead and Horror Hotel mm -hmm. and stuff. They're writing songs that are talking about sort of like the underside of Americana or the, you know, mm -hmm. as you said, like all that different stuff. And you can see it in a bunch of different songs. We, we dissected, I don't know if you ever um, uh, applied this to theme for a jackal. We were dissecting all the lyrics and stuff and realized that theme for a jackal uh, seems to also be about a Kennedy as well uh, about Ted mm -hmm. Kennedy, which I, which was kind of like a revelation to me, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. Pretty and it's, it it's interesting when, when, when you bring up Kenny, because uh, he, was, he was kind of like the ultimate symbol of the free world during the 60s. And then right. you have, uh, you know, to basically bullet, of course, you know, and of course the spoof of a better, what was it that they had in the subdivision? Was it better uh, dead on red or? It's better, it's, uh, no, uh, it's better dead than, um, it's better to be dead than red, which is communist thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I it, no, there's we're not saying it right. Neither one of us. It's better dead. Oh no, it's better dead on red. It's better dead than red, mm -hmm. but it's better dead on red on the back of bullet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, of course you have one of the earliest songs, "She," which is about Patty Hearst. Right. And I mean, this is someone from, you know, someone who comes from who comes to American affluence and hooks up with the Assembly's Liberation Army. Right. So that's a huge event in itself. Right. And then, you know, Hollywood Babylon, mm -hmm. which is, you know, this book of, of salacious stories and gossip that, mm -hmm. you know, Glenn kind of hijacks. It's like he's writing in that early stuff he's writing about Americana. It's more oh, Americana than, you know, um, than it is uh, than it is horror movies. And, you know, I once heard Bobby Steele say this. I thought it was really uh, true. He said Bobby Steele, the horror business guitarist for the Misfits, he said that the, that the Misfits are almost like the, um, the, 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 the greasers from the future of the 50s in the 70s. Like, they are That's the future perfect. of the 50s, but in the 70s of greasers. I thought that was very profound. Um. I mean, you can even uh, you can even say that um, was a. They're almost like self-aware of how obsessive they are about that pop culture. I mean, Static Age, I've always seen it as like a love letter to that entire era. I mean, we're all blue from projection tubes, and one of my favorite all, favorite yeah. lines. You know, my eyeballs like, absorb only blue filtered light. <laughs> blue filtered light, um, but. Um, let me ask you this now. What are g give me some first of all, if you had to pick, is there an album that you're like that's your go to where it's like above all others that you know you can't that that you're just like hands down or you, you in particular or or is it more of a song by song basis sort of thing for you? See, this is tough because I'm gonna have to cheat with this one. Because if you if you, you actually, can cheat, go ahead. If there if there's one if there's one album that really like epitomizes Misfits for me, it's Evil Live. 
Really? Yeah. Okay. Explain. Because that is that <laughs> there it is. It's it's Doyle, Jerry, Glenn. Yeah. The songs are barely are incoherent. You know, everything is like bursting at the seams like a time bomb. Yeah. And you at the well, you get you get the you get like the message and the aggressiveness from the songs, but you also get what will become famous in later life. Glenn Danzig, Glenn Danzig's very, very short temper. You know, one more time, you fucking asshole, die. <laughs> and then, you know, Henry Rollins jumping on stage to do with <laughs> You know, it's, 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 it's awesome. But the other tie I would have to say, Walk Among Us. Okay. Love Walk Among Us. I mean, I love it all. I love it all. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. Um, uh, when we were talking via Messenger earlier this week, we were talking about the metal connections to the Misfits. I've met so I've met other metalheads who are like, well, I only like Earth AD, right? Google because it's fast. I'm like, okay, but have you heard Static Age, Walk Among Us, or any of the Seven Inches? Oh, I don't like it because it's too poppy. It's like you can't win them all. It is very interesting. Yes, we did talk about that, and that's something we've talked about it from time to time. The show. It's that's another question that I ask various guests. I always say, why did the Misfits get the metal pass? Because Metallica. Metal, you say you say straight up Metallica. You know, I had Garcinio Hall from Two Minutes to Late Night on the show, and mm -hmm. I asked him, and he gave me an answer that was so right under both of our noses, like everybody's nose, but nobody ever says. They're like Danzig. I was like, holy shit. I was like, you're kind of right about that as well. Like, yes, obviously Metallica is first and foremost, but just this notion that, like, you know, if you are a fan of Danzig, the metal band, that, like, mm -hmm. not Danzig as in Glenn Danzig, but just Danzig, the metal band, that that is also your direct line to the Misfits because he kind of transcends from one genre to another as he sort of evolves. You know what I mean? Very much so. That's a very good point, um, actually. So it's kind of, that I also find that kind of interesting. But the Misfits are, yeah, they're like this really unique situation where you know even you know um maybe you know less particular metalheads will listen to all misfits like misfits is just and ramones as well ramones is another one i think where you just have you just have like it, it doesn't matter that the music is not in that same metal aesthetic you have metalheads that just it, you know it's 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 like uh supplemented with all of their metal Everything gets mm -hmm. supplemented with this band, and they just sort of spread in 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 their sphere of influence in that way as well. So that's pretty yeah, interesting. The, uh, there's, I believe it's on. It might still be on YouTube. There's a clip from 1986, and it's no secret that Metallica, you know, were huge champions of the Misfits. They always wore Misfits shirts on stage. There's an interview when they're on tour for the Master of Puppets album. And Cliff, James, and Kirk are all wearing Misfits shirts at, during the interview. And one of, one of the cool things I thought was really awesome was they're sitting down to do the interview, and Cliff Burton picks up this, this newspaper clipping, and one of them is and it's, a, it's an advertisement for a Sam Hain show. And Cliff's just like, Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I got to go check out that clip. I've never seen it or heard of it. Mm -hmm. he's, he's really patient zero. Cliff Burton is patient, patient zero man, because oh, I agree, yeah. he he was the he was the guy in the band that was really the the fiend, and then mm -hmm. he spread it to the rest of the guys, and then Glenn and Erie 
did probably the most brilliant thing of all time. The most brilliant thing that they could ever do uh, in their own self-interest, whether it was genuinely in their self-interest or it was just because they were just, you know, being generous and just like hooking the guys up. They just started making them shirts. They made Metallica so many freaking misfit shirts. They <laughs> printed them up. They just kept making them in Sam Hain shirts. And then what happens? Those, as you said, those guys wear them constantly. They wear them on stage. They wear them every single time they take a photograph. And what happens? That You basically have a walking billboard yeah, for mm-hmm. this thing. And the thing is, it's also connected to the symbol. Because you have this grinning skull that is a personification. It's you know what it is, Jerome? It's a hieroglyph. Mm-hmm. Right? Very much so. It's a hieroglyph. Yeah. Like you don't need to say the mission. Calling card. Yeah. Yeah. You just look at the picture. It's a brand. It's a it's a brand. Mm-hmm. It's it's essentially it's like a um they branded their stuff and then gave it to a band that was very slowly becoming one of the biggest hard music acts you know out there and i say hard music instead of just metal because i feel like you know once the black album came out they kind of transcended just being a metal band right like they weren't i I, absolutely i mean that that was basically the album where they took the pop music formula right big hooks big hooks catchy riffs applied to what they were doing and i said you know I went back and listened to the album last year and wrote to, because I wanted to write an article about it. And I was just like, man, this album is just, if it's like a no brainer of how, of how big it got. If I was, you know, if I was a 14, 15 year old kid back then, cause I was only nine when it dropped and I'm used to like guns and roses being the epitome of what aggression is. Right. And this dropped, I'd be like, okay, no brainer. This is, this is what I'm going for. Right. But, um, well, it's, interesting, it's interesting too because you know we we break down thrash, which is like it's taking the sound from new wave British heavy metal like bands like Diamond Head and and the American bands took that mixed it with punk. The best band that the band that benefited the most was probably the Misfits from all of that. Because yeah, wait, 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 hold on, pause, pause for one second. You're, you're no okay, so this is interesting because I okay, here's an area where I'm blind. And I don't know anything about anything. And I'm I'm actually very interested to hear this. I hear the word thrash all the time. All the time. Oh, the misfits in, you know, invented the, the Bible for thrash punk or whatever. Thrash, blah 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 blah. You know, whatever. Like just, you know, your 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 all these different statements. But I don't actually know what thrash is exactly. So thrash comes from British metal, like Judas Priest. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Um, if, as a matter of fact, if you go by, if you go back and throw on Slayer's first album, yeah, it's basically it's a punk album because they were really in the band. Really? Like, yeah, Jeff Hammond, their guitarist, was a punk who got into metal. I mean, he was really in the bands like, like TSOL and DRI, and so was their, Love TSOL. their, their drummer uh, Dave Lombardo. And so that kind of that kind of merged. DRI, if anything, became kind of like to go probably one of the biggest influences on the whole thing. And I think that the band that really got the biggest um, response out of that whole thing were, were the Misfits. Cause you know, not only was this a movement that was like taking over, yeah, but you know, Metallica were basically giving everyone like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, basically press kits like, Hey, here's this band we like, 
they've had an impact on us. And, you know, if it was, if it was like 1984, 85, you know, I'm, I'm going out, you know, getting my DM tape trade and getting my zines and I'm like, okay, well, Metallica said this band was, were good. I right. look at these guys, you know, you know, devil locks, you know, corpse paint, you know, skulls and singing songs about singing songs about murder and horror. Of course I'm going to, I'm going to go pick them up and like, try to like find out what these guys are. Right. Right. That's okay. So that's really interesting. So I did not know that. So the, but, but then the misfits, they sort of, you know, they're do the earth AD thing. And then I think Metallica who'd already formed in 81, but they're really just very new those first couple of years. Right. Mm -hmm. So then they hear earth AD. Right. And that definitely has some kind of impact in some way, shape, or form, right? Would you say oh, that? Yeah, I, I, I'd say I'd say that like, um, I, I'd I'd say that, you know, Earth AD is one of those albums like the crossover where you know, yeah, crosses um, over. You you could you could like uh, you'll meet metalheads who will like that album, you'll meet punks that like that album because it kind of has both elements. You could definitely see the direction that Danzig's going in, right? And I, I know that we uh, I remember when uh. Because we were, we were talking about Danzig's solo career, uh -huh. um, I don't know how you feel about this, but in my opinion, there's only there's only one era of Danzig's solo career, and that's with Christ, Bi Christ Biscuits and Vaughn. Yeah, you like the one through four. You're as uh, I'm, I'm not even big you're on a one four. through forest. <laughs> yes, I'm dedicated. They're all great. All of those, all four of those albums are great. I I like I, I my my love extends beyond that. But yeah. it's you know it definitely becomes patchy after four. It becomes very patchy. It becomes very mm -hmm. hit or miss. There are you know whole albums of just you know material that I just I just do not connect with. And then mm -hmm. every once in a while, there's this like shiny diamond in the rough. I'm like, yeah, that, that that rocks, you know. And then the funniest thing is the last thing that I think that Danzig did. That's probably the most interesting thing that he's recorded in 25 years is actually a song called "Pocket Full of Rainbows" that Elvis used to do. And yeah, that that's right, Jerome. You heard me correct, and you should go listen to that Danzig sings Elvis album. It's it very, it's very, very interesting. Um, but I want to before I, I want to jump back. I'd like to talk about Danzig as well. I want to jump back though it, you, you made me think of something very interesting that i didn't really consider you know I, I i said to you about how you know the they broke out of the metal world with the black album metallica did but mm -hmm. you know i think a better way to think about it and when did that come out 91 that was yes yeah 91 so what's kind of interesting is like they also they kind of cross into this Venn diagram along with Nirvana, who is another band firmly stuck in a world. I'm not talking about them being sonically the same, mm -hmm. but in terms of what they did with these seminal albums that broke out of the, the world that they were in and crossed over into the mainstream mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. brought their genres along with them because all these bands that were either adjacent or around them, like also got a lot of attention. And then what's kind of interesting further is that never mind, you know, I mean, uh, Nirvana, which dies in 94, what also comes out in 94? Fucking 
Green Day's Dookie, which does the same thing as the Black Album. And never mind. It's an album from a subgenre -genre of music mm-hmm. that is more underground or obscure, whatever you want to call it, in its own world. And it breaks through into the mainstream, mm-hmm. just like those other albums did. And then all of those bands, all of those SoCal skater punk bands, all of them started to sell records. No effects mm-hmm. is selling records. Pennywise, everybody's doing well. Everybody's eating nicely because, because of Dookie. And it's the same thing with Nirvana. All of a sudden, you know, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, all these bands are just kind of like, you know, sprouting. And, you know, the record label's trying to like, like categorize like, okay, well, that, that's grunge and that's grunge and that's grunge and that's grunge. And none of them are necessarily all sound alike, but they're all getting lumped into this sort of scene because of like their, either their geography or they sound slightly similar. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because I think had it come out and had it been handled the right kind of way, another one of those albums could have been Static Age. Had Static Age come out, when it was supposed to in 1978 as an album, because the, you know, again, you, we think of the Misfits first album as static age, because we got to look at the body of work after everything has really seen the light of day. But Mm -hmm. if you're a fan, if you're Cliff Burton in 1982 or in 83, your first album is walk among us. Mm -hmm. That's where you go. Oh, that's the Misfits first album. So this material never makes it, but had it made it, would it have punched through? Because we now all recognize how catchy and hooky and infectious it is. Would it have punched through in the same way that something like Nevermind the Bullocks punched through? Nevermind the Bullocks is another one of those albums. Just like 10 years prior did the exact same thing as what happened with Nevermind and the Black Album and Dookie before it took this music from this thing that was its own thing and blew it up in a way international, although it didn't get radio play. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't commercial. Everything else was commercial. You know, the other, those other albums, what they all do have in common in the Venn diagram is they all cross into the pop sphere in some way, shape or form. Oh, definitely. Right. You know, you know, I think, I mean, Okay, well, so we're thinking 1978. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure record companies would be too eager to sign a band that put out a song like Last Caress. But <laughs> yeah. I will say this: you know, you're absolutely right. Um, if you go back and listen to like, okay, here, here here's a good example. If you go back, and this is another case of separating artists from art. If you right. go back and listen to anything Phil Spector produced, yeah. Anything bad back from the wall of sound. I, you know, I love Phil Spector, by the way. I, I love the Ronettes. I've, 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 I've had a crush on Ronnie Spector since seventh grade. She's beautiful. Oh, she's amazing. You know, big hooks, solid production. And like, you can kind of, you could, you could definitely see that in Static Age. You could see that kind that, that, that element there. I mean, like, I mean, think, think of Be My Baby with like, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, totally. That's, that, that's the first hook. What's the first thing you hear off Static Age? Dun, 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 dun. Glenn yelling Static. So yeah, I, I mean they had so, there was such a, there was such like a connection between that and like some of that old that old fifties doo wop that people totally. always love. I mean I I've never met anyone who 
has told me, well, I can't stand any of the 50 songs. It's like, no, you 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 do love them. You just don't want to admit in front of your friends. I get it. I you know the I they are they are it's the beginning of everything. They are timeless. They are I exactly. Mean, I, I think you're being you know if you don't like that sort of stuff, then you're being kind of glib in a way. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that taste is a fact because. I think you and I would both agree that taste is incredibly subjective. Oh but, yes, as as is all art. Yeah, but there is something. There are you. There are reasons why this stuff is universally lauded and and loved the way that it is because it ticks boxes for such a wide variety and spectrum of people. Like it's the you know a great example is is comedy. What what is the most basic lowest common denominator when it comes to comedy slapstick violence slapstick Mm -hmm. violence is something that makes anybody laugh it does not matter what language you speak you just need to see someone fall down and you Mm -hmm. laugh at their misfortune you know and so and, and then another interesting connection there is how slapstick comedy and comedy and how we react to comedy is directly like adjacent to how we react to horror and the physicality mm-hmm. of horror. And that horror is another version, you know, Freddie and Jason murdering teenagers is another iteration of slapstick. It is. You know, I mean, these... especially, especially uh, I, I, uh, I make the joke about the uh, real title of it's Jason takes a boat, but every time, every time I've watched Jason takes Manhattan, I have to watch at least three times the part where he uh, fights the boxer. Right, yeah, and I mean, it's like it's like people. It's hilarious. People have said bad things about, it, but I'll say Friday the Thirteenth Part Five is one of the best installments in the in the series because I agree. Actually, I like because part five it a is lot. that halfway point between you know the, the the dark elements that we saw in Part Four with the over the top comedy we're going to see in Part Six. It's not even he, it's not even Jason, right? It's the it, that's yeah, the it's, imitator. It's, it's, uh, it's Roy great. The and you know what? I like that it's Roy because it subverts our expectations. We don't exactly. know who it could be. Like that's great. As a matter of fact, that's like the earliest ver that isn't that like the that's like the earliest like known like version of like copycat killer in you know horror slasher <laughs> movies, period. Uh have you here I have a recommendation for you. Have you ever watched Jason Part Six with your TV desaturated? No, like, like like you have to watch for this is for everybody who's watching right now. All 21 of you, you have to watch Friday the 13th, part six with your saturation completely like your, your saturation turned off. You desaturate your TV so that it's black and white. The whole film is lit like a universal horror film from the 40s. It's insane. No, it's like for real. And if you see, you know, the, it begins with Tom Tom Matthews basically Frankensteining Jason back to life. It's all there, man. It's it is a secret universal horror film from the eighties, and it is spectacular. The dude who who made that film, I forget his name. He lit that movie so that it would look creamy as fucking black and white and it does it's just that my first time watching jason part six was in black and white on that recommendation and i just can't recommend it. i swear by it it's really something else truly so it's it's a it's a it's a must try at, at some point um mm-hmm. 
So you told me that your love for Danzig, you're you're a one through forest. I can respect that. Is there a single Danzig album within the like what which one for you? Can, is there an album that you could do top to bottom, like hands hands down? Oh, without question, How the Gods Kill is a masterpiece. Interesting, interesting it is, choice. You know what? As far as as far as Danzig's material goes throughout those albums. I mean, first off, let's let's talk about the lineup he's got. Yeah, you got Yuri Vaughn, right, playing bass, and of course, you know they have a history. Mm-hmm. John Christ is just a, is just a perfectionist when it comes yeah. to guitar playing. Such a perfectionist, especially live. And who do you have supplying the backbeat? Fucking Chuck Biscuits. Chuck Biscuits, baby. Hell yeah! <laughs> but how the gods kill. Godless. Okay, so the for the the first the first dancing album I think was like them kind of like finding their groove. Part two is is kind of you know they're still they're they're, they're really starting to develop their sound. There's a couple throwback songs. Mm-hmm. Part three is just on another planet. The title track alone is just mind blowing. That's their stairway to heaven. That is Danzig's stairway agree. to heaven. Right? I agree. Yeah. Dirty Black Summer. I mean. Godless yeah. bodies. Godless Every song bodies in that is album song. is just perfect. Sestina's is. Oh, here's another mm-hmm. thing for you. We we just we had this realization the other day. I was uh, we had a uh, John Steele on. Uh, Sestina's is absolutely a, a secret Roy Orbison song, and I would even say I, if if you were putting out if you put out you and me, you know that song you and me off the Less Than Zero soundtrack. Oh yeah. If the B side, yeah, and if you were doing the B side to that seven inch, it would be Sestina's. They are those songs perfectly complement each other, and it's just like one is loud, powerful, and the other one is sort of uh, somber and sad, Mm -hmm. full of pathos, you know. Mm Um, what about? But, but yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point you brought up about it being secretly a Roy Orbison song because um, there's there's one Roy Orbison song that that brings me to my knees every time, and that's uh, "You're the Only One." No, "You're Ooh. the One." Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, now, now that now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking of that song. I'm like, wow, that he would have been perfect for that. Yeah. And another thing, Danzig would have been perfect for. Um, well, I like I like this game. This is a fun game. There, do you remember back in the early 2000s when they had Doors 21st Century? Um, fuck yes, he would be perfect for to play with uh, Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger and Jonathan Densmore. True perfect. story. Me at 11 years old. Yeah. Going in my big sister's room. Yeah. Listening to Danzig. Yeah. And me being 11, not knowing anything about about a lot, I just said. Hey, doesn't the guy from Danzig kind of sound like Jim Morrison? I mean, he. You know, it, it's like he it's does, like, dude. I, yeah, there's so many times I've like listened to old Danzig albums. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is this is Morrison incarnate. He, there is a lot of Morrison in Glenn's DNA more than he's willing to admit. Oh yeah, especially you know? especially the way that especially like if you look at his uh, his lyrical comp- compositions. Glenn has always managed to be such a great storyteller. 
hmm. like Morrison was like Morrison was in songs like The End. Hmm. You know, like if, if you think of the end, you think of like Love this, that song. The, the, oh, it's, 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 it's 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 timeless. You know, you think of this like slow build up to someone murdering their families. Is that something you'd expect to find on a dancing solo record? I would love to hear, oh my god, holy shit. I would have loved imagine that one through four lineup covering the end. And it like oh. how the cods kill style, like you know, like stairway to heaven, like building they, they, the song. They could have pulled off perfectly. And and wow, this is like you're kind of blowing my mind right now because I never thought about <laughs> this. Like, like you have you have um you have them slowly building to Glenn as Glenn is like kind of like kind of like the way that he does with Godless, how he kind of speaks like we're all gathered here today. Like you just imagine him sort of like narrating the story of mm-hmm. the boy took the vase. Oh no, went to the gallery and took a vase and said, "Father, I'm gonna kill you." Kill you, mother. You know, it's like he got the mother connection there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, it really does work. I would love love to have seen Danzig in his prime when his voice was like when his voice was really purring like to do the end you know like Danzig 3 era Danzig doing that there's one other Danzig cover I would kill to hear I I, this Um, is a fun game let's keep playing this what's the yes yes absolutely I would love to hear that lineup play uh, remember walking on in the sand by the Shangri-Las oh I wonder if I – I don't know if I know that song. I probably do. I probably heard it, and I just can't recall it. Um, you might have heard because I know they – aside from the Shangri-Las, Aerosmith covered it on the Night in the Ruts album, which in my opinion is the best Aerosmith mm. album, period. And I'll have to listen to that. A, I'm writing it down. If you're a fan of Trainwreck albums, then um, the Beach Boys did a very terrible cover on their Summer in Paradise album. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a really like, great song. It's like really melancholy. Like um, it's got it's it's got like this huge hook. It's a it's so great. And um, I forget the singer's name offhand off the top of my head. But the Shangri Laws like they just the vo- the vocal company the way like they harmonize with like this whole this whole tragic story is so perfect. And ah, uh, that dancing line from part three would have been perfect to cut, take it on. I I'm just trying to like think about that the end cover right now and like how it would go. It would be like it it would just like how it would start. Like it's really you know the thing about the the problem with the end. All right, so there is a little problem. It's okay. so it's like so slow. It's slower than anything that Danzig has ever done. Even I'd say the slowest song, one of the slowest songs, or maybe the slowest tempos, or I don't know if I'm using the right terminology. The slowest rhythm. It you have. Uh, you have She Rides is very slow for a dancing song. It's a very mm-hmm. slow song. And I guess maybe even Sestina's. And I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of something else that is that slow. Maybe Blood and Tears. I saw Blood and Tears come up in the, the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I nothing at nothing that's like the snail's pace that the end is. So it'd be very interesting to hear John Christ translate that. And then I guess you know what you would have and you'd have big kettle drums like what uh Chuck Biscuits uses on Sestinas. 
and mm-hmm. you would have uh it would be interesting you'd have a plotting baseline from eerie you know uh slow mm-hmm. and it would just it would just it would swell it would build into a crescendo but what let's let's play this game what is another all right what is another i have one i have one right off the top of my head and then i want to hear one from you what is another song that I would like to hear Danza cover? Ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. Ready? Heaven Can Wait by Meatloaf. Heaven can wait on a band of angels wrapped up in my heart. I just would love to hear Danzig do his sort of Jim Morrison version of that. I think it would be really good. I got a taste of paradise. And it kind of fits too, because like the, you know, Bad Out of Hell is kind of like, you know, it, it, there's a lot of themes in Bad Out of Hell, but one of them mm-hmm. is life and death and, you know, heaven. And I, I just think that would. Hearing a Jim Steinman song coming out of Danzig's mouth. Wow. Right? Wouldn't I've never thought like, of that. That, that, would, that would definitely be, <laughs> if nothing else, it would be like something that you know we, we we don't have to like stop what we were doing like the moment is released and say okay nope listen to this yeah i think he would i really really think he would crush that song like really crush that song i think that would be very interesting to hear um but like what song like what is like an out of the box song okay i'm gonna blow your mind back okay blow it back ready for it Morning Dew by the Grateful Dead. Wait, say it. Which song? Morning Dew by the Grateful Dead. Okay. You are a fucking genius. Because A, okay, a big confession for my audience tonight. I love the Grateful Dead. I'm a big Grateful Dead fan, surprisingly. That first album is perfect. I oh well, Pink, you know what's Pink funny? Pink Pen was, was one of the greatest blues okay. men ever lived. Okay, first of all, it's funny that you say that because a fucking metalhead would think that the first album is perfect. I like the first album too, because it's so fast. They're like a garage rock band. Fucking cold rain and snow is like a fuck. It's like the closest thing the Grateful Dead ever did to a punk song, you know, like it's a super like, or I should say a garage song really, but morning dancing, doing morning dew would be stupendous. I could totally see that build up. And just sort of uh, uh, busted out. And, you know, the thing is, Danzig is connected to folk music and he's connected to country. All the things that 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 tie the Grateful Dead together, Danzig's down with all that stuff, even though Danzig would be the first person to go, oh, fuck that hippie crap. You know, like he'd be the first guy to say, screw that. You know I have I mean? a very, just so we can sidetrack for a brief moment. Go ahead. I do know a really awesome Grateful Dead story. Go ahead. And my, tell mom, me. my mom told me because she was she was she was she was part of the scene when everything was yeah. happening. So the city of San Francisco passed this law back in the back in the mid sixties that's saying, okay, dance halls, concert venues, they all have to have permits, which meant that the city would shut down any show that you know had like like the Grateful Dead or Quicksilver Messenger Service or Moby right. Grape, any right. of those psychedelic bands on. So they found a loophole. Schools didn't need to have permits to hold recitals. And she told me that literally as the day after this was passed, there were flyers all around San Francisco and Haight-Ashbury that said, 
the San Francisco Dance Academy with headmasters Jay Garcia and P. Penn. Amazing. Yes. I mean, that's, it, punk, that's punk as fuck, dude. Like, they're, like, absolutely. You know, those dudes were counterculture, man. Like, I, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of like punk and metal and, you know, whatever kind of heads would be like, oh, you, what, Jeff, you know, Jeff, you like the Grateful Dead? Like, fuck, you know. Hey, good like, music is good music. Good music is good music, man. I like all kinds of music. I know it's such a cliche statement, but I really do. I, 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 I go, I'll go anywhere. I'm, you know what I'm attracted to? Good songs. If the song mm-hmm. is good, then I will listen to it. Uh, I just want to go to the comments because we have some we have some input here. Oh, we do about yeah yeah. Hold on. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, okay, so Chris says the Doors remnants also worked a lot with the singer of Longtime Doors tribute. Oh no, I thought he was suggesting a song. Never mind. Uh, Chris is very knowledgeable and he he goes off topic in the chat, which I appreciate which I appreciate, but it's not for not to be highlighted to, to do, deride from the uh, conversation. But uh, Chris is a wonderful wealth of knowledge. He's always spitting facts and just knows so much stuff. Jody says, I want to hear Children of the Grave cover by Glenn, although Am I Demon opens up damn exactly like it. Well, here's here's like yeah. a little I mean, Glenn Danzig's covering Children of the Grave like a hundred times on Danzig one. The, the DNA of Danzig is the Black Sabbath song, Children mm-hmm. of the Grave. It's like so similar, especially Am I Demon? So uh, I, I don't which know. Brings me, which brings me to another point. Like I, I did want to make briefly like. Please. Um, I remember you asked me like when we were talking about, we are talking about, you know, the Misfits, their connection to metal. Right. And like one of the things that I think you'll, you'll, you find more with like Samhain and, and the early Danzig albums but it's the attraction macabre. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the imagery. I think like true, very true. And, and, you know, I mean, I mean, if you throw on, like, if you think of throw on the first black Sabbath album. Yeah. You know, this is back when there's huge influence on Glenn, by the way, huge. There it's like, if you listen to songs like warning, that's a blue, that is one of the best blues numbers ever. Geezer's geezer's bass playing totally like owns that song. But you can tell, you can see like the correlation between like yeah. Black Sabbath's first album and like Danzig Three. You can see, you can see the heavy blues with with like creating like large, large imagery with the lyrics. I I want to challenge you on something, uh, not challenge something you said, but I have a challenge for you. Uh, right. I'm going to ask it to you right now, and then we're gonna. I want to acknowledge uh, what Rue is saying here because we have a couple. There were a couple more of those covers. The song Helter Skelter by the Beatles yes. is a very heavy proto-metal song. Some people say it's the beginning. I don't know if that's true. I'm not saying that it's true. But the beginning starts with Blue Cheer and Summertime Blues. Right. That's I've I've heard that as well. However, however, even though there might have been things, and there most certainly were, I mean the kinks, there, there's things that occurred before Helter Skelter, but I don't know when the last time you listened to the baseline of Helter Skelter, but there's something so like not just metal about it, but there's punk. What makes it so heavy? And I always ask people, I say, what is heavier pre-68 than this baseline of Helter Skelter? And it's not just the 
it's not just the tone. It's the attitude from which it's played. The way it's being played is with this, it's snotty. It's so snotty. And I'm hard pressed to find something that, that pushes me in a way where I, you know, where I'm convinced that there's something heavier than that. And so I, my, I, I ask you, sir, what baseline, what riff is more, has more attitude, hard rock attitude. We're not talking about pop. We're not talking about anything that's rising in the sixties. And yes, I know that garage rock is like on the separate branch. Mm-hmm. It's all happening. And you could say that stuff is harder and you might be right. You might be right, but it doesn't, it's not, it's cut off because it's not exposing anything. The Beatles are on the pulse. They're exposed. They're, they are influence, influencing so much with every single thing that they do, right? Which is why I think it's such a profound, it has such a profound impact, that bass line, that, that song, that riff, that the, the drums, everything. I just think it is one of the heaviest tracks of that era. I think it's so heavy. I do agree. Summertime Blues, very heavy song. But it doesn't have the same punk sort of – it doesn't have the same attitude that – and maybe I'm just biased because I'm a giant Beatles fan. But Rue says here, Glenwood Crush, don't let me be misunderstood by the animals. I'd love to hear that. I think that is a great, great uh Back addition. to your challenge, sir. To, yeah, quote, to, quote, to, to, to paraphrase Thor from Rock and Roll Nightmare, I accept the challenge. <laughs> I love I, Rock and Roll Nightmare. Yes. How can you not? It's so Come on, old I will, I, will, I will tell you something that is heavier <laughs> and does reek of a million times more attitude. Okay, I want to hear. And I will die on this hill. Go ahead. My Generation by The Who. Ooh. Pete Townsend plays two chords. John Entwistle and Keith Moon are untouchable as a rhythm section. Yeah. And the fact that Roger Daltrey sings in an age of in an age of like, you know, flower power, I hope I die before I get old. It you know what? I'm going to I am going to sit and listen to those back to back and really take that in because what you're saying, you know what stood out to me more than anything that of what you said just mm-hmm. now was not was not the not even the not the lyrics not the thing about the rhythm playing but the notion of pete townsend doing what he's doing with just two chords like this idea that it's not about the it's not about the being intricate with doing like all this stuff which is what metal is really all about metal all is all about proficiency and sort of like you know just knowing your instrument inside and out and going places that, you know, and obviously prog, prog metal and prog is like an extension of that even further. But like, and then on the flip side, the other side of that is punk, which is more, it's about just about attitude really. And and going back to what you, you briefly mentioned the Kings earlier. Yeah. Um, one of the most, this is the band that a gave us guitar distortion. Thanks to true things. Thanks Very to true. Dave Davies slicing the spear curl, but yep. I will also say this, and I will die on this hill as well, that punk is born the day the kinks write, I'm not like everybody else. Okay, I don't I don't know if I'm familiar with that song. I I will have to listen to it after we get off the air because I'm not I don't know if I'm familiar with it. 
You know, it's, um, but I will listen to it with a. I, I respect your opinions, and I don't know if I will agree with your opinion, but I will give it. A, I will give it an honest appraisal when we get off there. Send me that in in Facebook inbox mm-hmm. so I can mm-hmm. remember it. Yeah, I'm. 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 Uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I can't wait till uh, post this to my Facebook. Oh yeah, that's. I. I really hope you do. Chris says. Did anyone ever see that VH1, that metal show with Glenn and Bill Ward of Sabbath? I sure did. And I agree, Chris. He was so proud to be on stage with Bill Ward because, you know, he friggin' loves him. And, you know, Eddie Trunk really is sort of like, uh, he's kind of a doofus. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Eddie Trunk, but he's. Yeah, you, know, you know what? Like, seriously, when it comes to mainstream, when it comes to like mainstream uh, or commercial hard rock and heavy metal, he's the yeah. guy. I mean, I, I right. respect, He's fuck, a go-to I respect guy. the fuck out of the fact that, you know... He knows some stuff, yes. He knows his shit, and he's not, like, you know, so stuck up where he's not not willing to listen to anyone else. And, like, one of my favorite stories that Eddie Trunk has ever told is him being a fan of Kiss in the 80s. And yo. he made fun of Yo. Yo. I just got to say this real quick. I have been True. down a fucking rabbit hole of Kiss in the 80s, and they, this is going to be the most I'm, unpopular thing to say, they fucking rocked. Dude, the 80s. the 80s Kiss is amazing. Amazing, Austin dude. is one of the greatest hard rock frontmen you'll ever see. My first Bro. concert, my first concert, <laughs> Halloween night, 1998, Dodger Stadium, Kiss. Yeah. And I, you can look at the, you can yeah. look at the footage from that concert on YouTube, you know, the when with Paul when you know when they play right before they played Love Gun, Paul Stanley comes comes right out, comes comes right out and says, "I'm coming to see you. I'm coming to see you, people. Is that okay?" Him swinging out to a platform in the middle of the sea of right, people, right, 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 Love right. Gun. It's Paul Stanley. Um, like, I gotta tell I mean, you, when they went unmasked, he he could still be just an amazing frontman. And I mean, gonna, I mean, Gene Simmons always says, you know, I turned into the ugliest woman I ever knew, you know, but I mean, it's, it's Paul Stanley. You know, and I'll tell you something, too. I'll give Paul Stanley all the credit in the world. That dude was born without an ear. OK. Mm-hmm. And he was super, super. What's it called? Um, self-conscious about it. And he became a rock star and like just totally like, you know. I don't know. I, I just have mad respect for that dude because that's like, you know, he was like made fun of because he was missing ear and stuff. And hold on, I'm looking for Kiss Live. Maybe it's 1983. All I know is, yeah, Eric Carr. Jody brings him up Eric Carr. What a fucking drummer, man. They mm-hmm. they fucking rock so hard. There's so much energy. There's so much output from these dudes. I gotta find the concert. Oh, here it is. And all right, I hope this doesn't get me YouTube tagged. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that I was not. We're not gonna listen to music because can't do that. But we are going. <laughs> Hold on one second. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can get this on the air real quick. Ready? Look at this shit. Here we go. Ready? As you can see, I've already watched it. They rock so hard. And it's like, oh, let's mute that so we don't get in trouble. Hopefully this doesn't get picked up. Um, Love Gun is Love Gun is one of the best 
Kiss songs out there. I'm not. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. By the way, I say everything that I say. I am not. I am not a really a Kiss fan at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm just a bit admirer of of shit. And when I see mm-hmm. something that's worth admiring, I admire it. And I admire, you know, Kiss trying to kick ass in the '80s, man. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, kind of. Here we go. Look at them. <laughs> Look at them. I don't know if it's coming in clear for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I can see it. You can see it. Look at them. <laughs> Look at those moves, man. Look at them. They have it all choreographed. I think that I, it's just awesome, man. They're like, we're not going to hide behind the makeup anymore. No gimmicks. We're just going to be super high energy. And, man, they just they give it 150%. I got mad respect for 1980s Kiss. Just want to say that. <laughs> Look at them go. I mean, they just, I mean, he's got, he's got both hips replaced now. He can't, he can't, um, he can't do it. Yeah. Rue says Black Diamond, dude. That is a really good Kiss song. Strutter is great too. Black Diamond. Holy Black crap. Diamond is so perfect. It's so good, man. There's a, have you ever seen that footage from 1975 of Black Diamond where um, they, they have, they, it's like when they first started doing the choreograph of, um, you know, where they're doing the, they're, they're, they're swinging the neck of a guitar down on, um, ace. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. So, Ooh, ballad, ballad's not a fan of kiss, but Chris lived it up for lick it up. He lived for <laughs> lick it up. <laughs> yeah. You know the, okay. So you can actually read Paul Stanley's audio book, audio version of his autobiography, on YouTube in its entirety. And it's just him like, like just friggin' like, I love how we went from talking about the Grateful Dead to Kiss to <laughs> just all over. I know, right? This is all over the place tonight, but whatever. <laughs> um, but yes, Gene Simmons did talk mad shit about the misfits. And he's just a hater, dude. He's just Gene Simmons just being a hater, you know? Like, yeah, he's I mean... wearing the wearing the crimson ghost and like talking shit about the misfits you know and you know and you know what it's funny because when you really think about it what the misfits are now are basically what 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 kids did in the 70s with you know mass merchandise you know i mean i can remember in 2000 going on the misfits website and seeing like the uh, set the the globe in the dark seven inch going for like twenty bucks, right. and the the funniest merch idea I've ever seen, and I'm still cracking up about it to this day, was for three hundred and eighty dollars. This is back in two thousand, so we'd have to adjust for inflation. Yeah, we own a leather jacket that has the Crimson Ghost stenciled on the back. I remember this jacket. Yes, <laughs> and I've seen those in the wild, and all I could think of is like, oh my god, like. It's it's kind of silly. It's a little silly. Yeah, you, uh, know you don't what? want your leather to be fully de- like devoted to one thing in particular. Don't you want like a, a smattering of things on your leather? You know, the one thing that killed the uh, resurrected misfits for me more than anything. Yeah, what was that? Was seeing them live. I saw ah. them at Irvine Meadows with X of all bands. With X, that's yes. a, you know, I'm kind of jealous. That would be a really fun show. 
And you know what? With I X? have to be honest, X <laughs> were a band that I was not into at the time. Oh, I love X. Love and X. X are like X are a band like Dexy's Midnight Runners or uh, Public Public Image Limited. They're a band that I kind of like just wrote off and just like dismissed and said, "Ah, I'm not really into that artsy stuff." And as, as the years have gone on, I've, I've like come around and be like, "Oh wow, this is, was actually good stuff." Um, those first three albums, talking about like first three of something or first four of something, the mm-hmm. first three X albums are immaculate treasures mm-hmm. entirely. And do you know who produced all three of those albums? And plays piano on the world's a mess. It's in my kiss. Who? Ray Manzarek of the Doors was. You're shitting me. He produced the first four X albums, and he plays piano or organ or whatever on all of X. Nausea, um, the world's a mess. It's in my kiss, and they cover Soul Kitchen by the Doors because Ray was producing them. And he was like, kind of like the fifth X member in a way. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, those albums are just phenomenal. If anybody out there, uh, we've now we've talked about. Okay, X. wait. This, 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 is, this, is, this is this is the idea for next next uh, time uh, we go we do a podcast together. Yeah, we got to talk about the client Western Civilization Part One. I we, why don't we talk about it right now? Because I fucking love that fucking. Out movie is amazing, amazing, amazing movie. That's why we even that's how fear got their big break. They were an unsigned mm-hmm. band and she had them showcased and they eventually got signed. That's how the fear record came out mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and yeah, that phenomenal film, phenomenal film. I love her films. I love Suburbia. I love seeing the the TSOL playing my two favorite songs, one of which was never properly recorded. Darker, my love. For those of you who are not familiar with TSOL, go out now and go on YouTube and look up TSOL in. Oh, fucking, I'm doing it right now. Since we already did it, I'm doing it. I'm just going to put it on right now. <laughs> just so fucking good. Um, but when I saw the Resurrected Misfits live. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, here, here's the thing about being a teenager you have high expectations. Right. And Graves did not deliver that night at all. Like, oh, he didn't. With, with with some of his own songs, he didn't do too bad. I mean, he did, he did like, he did, he couldn't hit one of the notes on Helena, but I mean, I figure I, I can chalk that up to, you know, hey, you know, things happen. But it's when they went to the Danzigera. Oh my God. And I was, and you know what? Like, there's a band who I don't care for called the Bronx Casket Company. Yeah, oh, I know Hideous, who they are. That that had Mike, Mike Hideous thing yeah. for. And Mike Hideous, like, if you go and look up Mike Hideous footage, he's, I mean, he's not, he's not Glenn, but no one is Glenn. No one's Glenn. But he fits the mold. Yeah, you know, if like, if if someone, if. If Jerry only announced tomorrow, hey, we're cutting a new album with 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 Mike Hideous, I'd be like, okay, I'll I'll definitely give it a listen. You know, he was oh, on the like, show. Yeah, we talked to him for three hours. We had a long no conversation. Yeah, had a uh, Mike. Mike was on an episode of Pizza Punk. We did a three hour show with him, and he talked about his you know trials and tribulations of 
you know, trying to be, and you know, we, uh, we had, we've, we've speculated in on before, you know, I had, um, I had Loki and JV on, on the show a bunch of times and those guys were Michael Graves backing band for a long, long time. That was like mm-hmm. the core nucleus of his backing band. And even, you know, we were talking about what it would have been like if Mike Hideous had sung, you know, p- put out a record, put out famous monsters or something akin to famous where the famous monster mm-hmm. slot, you know, which is probably what would have happened had he, you know, stayed in the band. But in the end, he was a bargaining chip. He was he was just there to flex on Michael Graves. Like it was which is so unfortunate because it is. It really is because you know, you, know you, you when I listen to Mike Hideous, you know, it's he has the same qualities and the same elements that Graves brought to the band, but he does them so much better. And it's a shame he didn't get to really, uh, you know, uh, go into the studio with them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I think it would have just been interesting just to see what they what they would have cooked up. Mm-hmm. You know, they, had good, so. they had a they had a good chemistry. They mm-hmm. had they had the ability to sort of write stuff in the studio, no matter who was writing what. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Here we go. This is this is one of my favorite friggin' video clips from any like musical performance in any film. This is from Suburbia, nineteen eighty three. Penelope Spears. Um, a bunch of bands play. You have uh, the Vandals doing Richard Hung himself, and uh, who I'm forgetting somebody else. And then you have TSOL here, and I'm not gonna play the music because I don't want to get in trouble. Look at Jack Grisham. He's just friggin' like just friggin' awesome. Just doing this. I mean, they're they're a hardcore band. People think of them as a hardcore band, but they're really a death rock band. They're just but they don't worry, they're not concerned with like dressing the part. They just sort of they just do what they want to do. Like look at Ron Ron Emery. He looks like a redneck, like <laughs> he looks like a good old boy, you know, with his with his hat like that and TSOL with the with the American flag. Yeah, right. D, sorry, D.I. wrote Richard Hung himself. Thank you, Angus McHorter. I, I love your name, Angus. It's really great. <laughs> um, but look how great they are here. I mean, just phenomenal. I probably watched this clip about 100,000 times. I never get sick of watching it. And yeah, I'm uh, the same way with the uh, fear footage from uh, um, Decline. Yeah, from, the, from uh, Decline. It's great. That's That's great footage too, man. And he... You know, leaving, he he really could be. You know, he really knew how to sort of rile up the crowd. Do you ever see that SNL footage of him? Oh, of course. Oh, it's just With Donald Pleasant introducing him, no less. Right and for Halloween. It, have you seen <laughs> Get Crazy? Uh, fuck yeah. Okay, not only did I okay. see Get Crazy, it first of all it's being released on Blu-ray. I'm sure you knew that already, but I didn't. Okay, it I is. I didn't know being, that. Finally being released, a movie that. A movie that like has been in like like obscurity forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. The know best about... part of that movie though is the fact that Lou Reed, yeah, who yeah, was not above doing self parody and making fun of himself. But he he totally does this movie. I saw it at the Alamo Draft House. It was part of a surprise screening, mm-hmm. so I got to see it on the big screen. And it is such a. You know what? It, it's almost like the spiritual successor. It's like the spiritual companion film to Rock and Roll High School. That's what it is, man. 
the same sort of see that, yeah. goofy energy is in both of these films. I mean, there's so much goofy stuff. Hey, Chris, real quick, Chris, in the comments, um, what is the? Tell me about the infamous minor threat TSOL fight that started with uh, "You fuck dead people." I do not know about this. I'm sure we, we all know what that's in reference to the the song called "Code Blue," one of the greatest punk rock songs ever written of all time, in my opinion, personally. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that, Jerome. But "Code Blue" is just not a, a fan of TSOL. Oh, you're not a TSOL fan? Nah. Really? Oh, I thought no. you were. Okay. Okay. Tell me more about that later. But um, oh, I didn't know. Wait. So this whole time I'm gloating about TSOL, and you're just not. Hey, even it's into your it. show. You know, it's yeah, it's it your show. So if you fair want to know about a band you love, go ahead. Fair. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I get it. I get it. Um. It's too long. Chris says it's too long a story to type, but it's better to look it up online. I sure will. I sure will. I I agree. Leaving is a legend. And, you know, he's in Glenn Danzig's new film, Death Rider in the House of Vampires. He plays a bartender vampire. And, you know, just see a scene with Glenn Danzig and leaving together with fangs. You're kind of like, just What? the f- like what is going on right now is this real life and <laughs> it kind of is it kind of is that's i remember really uh crazy. yeah because i remember i remember clue was a film that got played a lot when i was growing up so that was right? my first clue. exposure to to leaving he's also in dudes there's a there's a cowboy punk movie from 1986 called dudes mm-hmm. uh starring john crier and i forget oh. the other guy and leaving plays the bad guy in this film and oh flea is in it flea is in it as well so that's another little acting role flea did a lot of acting in the 80s he's in back to the future no part kidding. two and three yeah he's in suburbia he's in back to the future part two and three he's in dudes he's also he's in the chase with uh henry rollins and charlie sheen and whatnot he's in fear and loathing in las vegas he plays the hippie that Hunter S. Thompson sees in the bathroom in the urinal. That's that's Flea. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. He's in a bunch of stuff though. He just sort of like pops up and and does his does his own thing, which I think mm-hmm. is cool. You know. Um, let me. Okay, let's let's wind down here. Okay. I I want. But, but, we, but Jeff, like, can we please do this again? Oh my God! Yes, yes. Here's what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. This is what I tell all the guests that I want to have for repeat shows and stuff. I need to let's find the right show. It might not even be music. Maybe we'll do something on film. You know, mm-hmm. we'll do something because I do a lot of stuff. We'll definitely have you back on when when the time is right. Maybe we could do a show on Lords of Chaos. I think maybe you might like that. I've been wanting to do a show on that. Was that something that would? Yes. No. What is that? What is no? Oh, you hate it. You hate because um, you're a, you're a hardcore fan of that stuff. I don't. I've never owned a book on principle. Okay. And there is one scene in the movie that I will rip apart right now. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Okay. Do it. So let's do that, and then I'm going to want you to wind down with. I want you to give me your top five misfit Samhain and Danzig songs and we'll, we'll wrap it up but tell me let's break this down first take me through this and then we'll there's a scene where Varg meets Euronymous at at a restaurant and yeah. 
Duramis points to his Scorpion's patch. Yeah. I'm going to say this right now. Yeah. Score, if you go back to the early days of the Scorpions, yeah. especially the early John Roth era, yeah. those albums are untouchable. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were a completely different band before he departed. They brought in Matthias Jobs. I mean, you want, I mean, it was really progressive and really psychedelic, like albums like Flights of the Rainbow. Okay, don't, all right, I'm going to have to cool. interject here and just admit that I really don't know anything about the Scorpions. What are, so, I know the band name. What are, I always think of Scorpions just like hair metal or something. I don't know. Like, oh, again, no. I don't know anything about them. Are they, what, what is their, what is the, what is the song that they are synonymous with that I would know? Uh, Rock You Like a Hurricane. Oh, yeah. I know, of course that okay yeah and that's that that's from their commercial period like if you go go listen to albums like like uh flight of the rainbow look up any any of their their uh material with uli john roth it's okay. mind because okay. i mean the uli john roth scorps i mean that's that's what had a really huge impact on a lot of the guitar players from uh the thrash movement especially like kirk hammett you know he was a huge devotee of uli john roth and when I saw that scene, I, I just thought to myself, I was like, okay, if I was at a show and I ran into some ran into some of the Scorpions patch and they were all about like the Uli John Roth era, you know, I'd be pretty stoked to have a conversation with them. I thought that was such an interesting here's the thing about this movie. It's and again, I you know, everything I'm gonna say and the way that I feel about this movie, this is the scene, the music, which I don't know anything about the music. None of this is a sacred cow to me. I'm coming, I'm coming to this as a complete consumer. Understandable from an uh, from an audience that is not connected to the material the way that you know it. You know it very intimately. Mm-hmm. What I loved so much about the movie is that it almost kind of like it almost kind of um, what's it called? It disqualifies itself from scrutiny from me, just me disqualifies itself because the movie opens with this is this is a film based on the truth lies and everything in between something like that Mm -hmm. and i was like wow okay you like what this is the best preamble ever you are setting the tone you are setting a tone for how i'm going to take in this movie which absolutely takes great dramatic license that works really well in my opinion for the whole film Mm. actually wrote i wrote a whole review of the film for ghastly grinner magazine online magazine called loads of loads of posers i think it was called (laughs) uh, lords of chaos was loads of posers but that's what the film is kind of about it's kind of about you know um being and it's kind of interesting how a scene like this is a direct reaction to the culture of Norway at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that like, you know, there's almost like this sort of South Park goth aspect to some of it in the sense of like, you know, like at least the way that they presented in that film, particularly like mm-hmm. that, you know, who's the most evil. We're going to be the most evil. No, we're going to be the most evil. No, we're going to be the most evil. We're going to do the most extreme thing. You know, and so on those levels, I thought it was actually a masterful film. And, you know, I know that it doesn't probably doesn't, you know, touch it doesn't like get all the details 
correct. But the fact that it's made the pedigree of the making of the film, it wasn't who's the guy, the, what band was the guy in? The guy who directed the film was in, um, he allegedly, I mean, he was in Bathory for a very, for Bathory. like a very short time, right? Um, I will say this about the controversy that came out from that scene because I mean, it's been talked about to death at this point, right? And but I think. Peter Sotos hit the nail on the head when he wrote about Parasite about how you have this long, you know, era of satanic panic and ritual abuse. Right. And then that happens over in, over in Norway. And literally like in the same time period, we have the West Memphis three murders. True. So we have two major events that kind of like, justify all the paranoia from the previous decade yeah so and but it, it's one of those things it's like you know it, it, it's it, it's pop culture grabbing a hold of it and having its way with it as what as is what happens to anything you know so it's like I can be, you know, the, the cranky old man who's like well you know back in my day we but at the same time it's kind of like yeah, I kind of saw this coming. When you were doing this before, when you are like, is that you being frustrated with just that scene? Did you watch, did you see just, the whole film? Just the film in general, just like yeah. the book in general, just like, mm -hmm. just, you know, I mean, it's like, it's it's like anything else. It's like any whenever something gets downloaded into the mainstream, ever-growing lexicon of pop culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like something that you love is now, you know, just super accessible, which I honestly think is a good thing. I think right. it's great that, you know, there's so much stuff that is accessible these days. People like to, like, there's some people I know who complain about, oh, we need to keep things underground. It's like, look, you know, if someone finds something that provides them escape from how terrible the world is, I'm all for it. You know, me too. It, it doesn't matter if it's you know, if someone's going out and watching auto mule movies, or you know, look or like going on YouTube and seeing a couple kind of anger flags and being like, okay, I I understand myself now. Or someone having access to an album that might give them like an outlet and might might not make them feel so isolated. I'm all for that, but. Things happen and you get frustrated because you, you see, like, pop culture has its way with manipulating anything. If that makes any sense. That does make sense. And, you know, I think I think a great word is homogenized. It becomes the thing that we love or the thing that you love or that one loves becomes homogenized. And it's you see the thing that you love twisted and distorted into something that, doesn't resemble the thing that you love in the first place. And so that like the misfits. Well, yeah. Like the misfits, a great example, but you know, I I'm of the mindset, you know, I used to be one of those elitist pricks who always like kind of chuckled at the, the doofus that probably didn't know that the shirt they're wearing is a band. And I have a different approach today. Like if I see, so, if I, if I come across that, I would just go, Oh my God, there's a band that's attached to that image and just turn them on to the thing. They're just, they're just show, you know, everybody finds out about stuff the way that they find out about stuff. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I think what we, I think what we, we do is we, 
we're re- we're like sprung traps. We're ready to attack anything that might be posturing with the thing that we love. And if you're posturing with the thing like that we love, then like, yes, then you'd be like, "Fuck you!" Like, don't like, don't twist this thing that we love so dearly in in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think that there's there's definitely like a level of naivete in there, and that's what like I try to keep my eye on. Is this just some, you know, goober that just doesn't know what this is? Or same thing with the Ramones, that Ramones logo. People buy it because it looks cool. But, like, so what? So this would be like, oh, man, I became a Ramones fan because I saw this 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 thing. I didn't even know it was a band, and I thought it was really cool. And these bands have been around long enough and have permeated the main culture enough where someone's liable to get into that through said thing that's mm-hmm. permeated into the main mainstream culture. That's just where we are. If it was 1981, the only way you were going to get into the Misfits is if you were in into punk or somebody handed you a tape or something. It was a lot smaller. It's got since gotten bigger. Who cares? Who cares how or why or whatever? I just kind of I to me, I now think it's a soft it's sophomoric. Why be sophomoric about and, and the same and the same goes for people who make art and they make a huge deal about about oh we're attacking people we're attacking pc standards my attitude to that is shut the fuck up make your art yeah Nothing. yeah i agree with that listen you know, it, but, it, sorry go it, ahead, go ahead. It, it just it just gets so you know it, it gets tiresome when you know it's like because we, we have this like division of people who are like oh well you know i want to stand against counter against cancel culture i'm gonna like make art that you know triggers people it's like okay then you're just being disingenuous with your art then you're not making it from a real place you're making yeah. it because you're upset about what about about you know sensibilities and that means you're art- trying to get attention you're trying to yeah, get attention like and- dave Chappelle. Yeah, and the words of if I can quote Andy Warhol, your fifty minutes of fame are up. I look at Ballad here. Ballad is twenty four, and he's been a Misfits fan since he was a toddler, and he appreciates seeing the Crimson Skull and Misfits brand being spread. That means that Ballad was born in the year nineteen ninety seven, and you know, like <laughs> some of us are just fucking born. <laughs> no, but you want to know something? Like we're born when we're fucking born, dude. Like you know, exactly. it's like you get into and you get into the thing. How you get into the fucking thing? Like like it doesn't. You know, that's the one thing. There's some of these hardcore punkers, especially in the New York side, hardcore mm-hmm. punk, who are just so ageist in like a reverse kind of way. You know, usually when we think of ageist, we're thinking about like discrimination against older generations, and it's the reverse where there's this like elitist mentality of like back in the day, you could never actually know what this was about because you weren't around back in the day. And it's just kind of like, you know what, man? Like I wasn't like, I can't help that. I wasn't born then. Like, shut up. Like you sound so, you know what? It's, it's like this, it comes from such a place of insecurity. Like, like everybody has to know that I was around back in the day you know oh yeah like, uh, i've dealt i've dealt with that firsthand um i wrote a uh i wrote an article in necromantic about a year and a half ago and to this day it's it's probably one of the most successful pieces i've ever written i've i've read that piece and it is it's 
great. And this guy who used to do DIY horror zines in the 80s, like, went out of his way to be like, oh, well, fuck this person. He, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about. I was there. And it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, just pure insecurity, man. And I, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing some my the person that booked all the movies at my local Alamo Draft House. We got an H the HD remaster of Necromantic, and I got to see it on the big screen during the month of October, about five years ago, four years ago, something like that. And By the way, one of these secret projects awesome. I am involved with involves that film. Okay, Let, let's talk. Any detail, any details yet? But it does. No, 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 no. I, I want, I want, I want to stick around for a second after we we wrap this up because I, I just want to ask you a question. Um, but uh, yeah, I big fan of Necromantic. If you watch Romeo's Distress, you'll see. And you know, the original ending of Romeo's Distress was very much supposed to be. I don't know if I. You don't know this actually, but you've seen the mm. film. So the, what you see in the movie to 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 bring it all around, we start with Romeo's Distress. We can we can circle back to Romeo's Distress. Romeo's Distress, my feature length film, was supposed to end like necromantic in a way. It's supposed to or supposed to venture into necromantic territory. And what happened was, I mean, that's the whole the whole reveal that you know at the that you find out that that whole thing was supposed to be consummated. And mm -hmm. I didn't get to film the third act of the movie. The whole third act was not filmed. So I, I, you know, the character that I play in the movie was made up on the day like that. And then I went back and shot all those scenes with me in it to sort of like pepper it in. So it didn't feel so random, mm -hmm. but the original film is supposed to end with this grand consummation. And I sort of George Lucas, the film, I went back and I stuck an insert in cause I just had so if you you could see the you'll see the full effect in the in the uncut version on this YouTube channel now, it's not I mean it's still a little implied but you kind of get what's going on actually I it kind of is very effective because you're kind of like you see this thing moving and you're like what the f like whoa like what wait is that what I think it is like that kind of thing, um, but yeah the whole third act was not filmed there was supposed to be a giant sword fight with a shovel and a golf club between the boyfriend and James under a street lamp. It was supposed to be like Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker. And then he makes his way to the, to the cemetery and starts digging. And I couldn't film any of it. I, I lost one of my actors and I had, I lost the, the boyfriend. I, I couldn't use him anymore. We, we, no, is your wife in, in the film as well? That's not my wife. <laughs> she kind of looks like my wife, but that's not my wife. <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about. No, that's not my wife. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. I, that's not the first time I've heard that either. It's not the first time I've heard that. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're not, you, you, you're not the first person to say that. Um, but yeah, it's, we, I didn't get to make, I did not get to make the, the necromantic ending that I, that I was hoping to make. And so it goes, sometimes you're, 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 sometimes in life you are, you are, a, you have a choice. You can either compromise and see your thing come to life, or you can be uncompromising in your vision and have nothing at all. And very it's, true. It's a terrible choice to make, but you got to make it. So you do. Exactly. 
tell me, g- give me your your top five misfits. Sam, Hain. we didn't really talk about Sam Hain. Sam Hain and Danzig songs for Jerome. It, it doesn't have to be it, whatever you feel like in this moment. Like for me, it's as far changing. as the misfits go. Yeah, these are the five songs I go to the most. Halloween. Okay. I turned into a Martian. Rockin'. Devil Lock. Yes. Lenny Eyes. Okay. London what, what was that last one? London Dungeon. Ah, London Dungeon. Yes. Because yes. that opening riff is just amazing. And you can't have no Dirty Dead. And that also is a secret death rock song as well. Very much Gothic so. Gothic death for, rock. For, for, for Sam Hain, it's too difficult to narrow down. Ooh. But for but for uh, Danzig solo stuff, How the Gods Kill, mm-hmm. and My Demon, mm-hmm. Long Way Back from Hell, oh, great song, Devil's Plaything, okay, and Bodies, Bodies, really? I love Bodies, dude, so good. That that groove in the beginning, just like, are you? Are you on Twitter or is there like a handle or something? I, Instagram, uh, I what's your do deal? have a Twitter, but I haven't used, but I, Twitter, have, right. I got a new phone and like, I haven't used like the app in forever. Can I recommend to everybody to go click on the link in the description below uh, of the, I, I was butchering, not diabolic, diabolique. Cause it's diabolique, French. Yes. yes. Uh, go. It's also a great, also a great uh, movie too from, from so the late fifties. Um, Even the remake is good. I don't think I've seen the remake, but that was what that's what Hitchcock wanted before Hitchcock wanted to do that before he did Psycho. That was his that was he was had his hopes set on that film. Mm-hmm. And then the French dude did it instead. Um but go read go read Jerome's piece on the misfits that he wrote, Children of the Atom Age Horror, Atomic Age Horror, whatever it is. Uh it's in the it's in the comments. Go click on it, go explore. Uh Jerome's written a bunch of stuff. If you are a fan of Necromantic, go <laughs> <laughs> go check out that piece as well it's a great piece and uh we're gonna we're gonna take you out with a with a message from our sponsor stick around jerome for 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 one moment for three minutes after that hey guys what's going on it's jeff so i've decided to make a patreon what is patreon i don't know how to define a patreon let me look it up patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that $1.38 by the hours and hours and hours 
of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents. Oh, no!